Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. Awesome. Well, hey, if I did not get a chance to tell you last week, man, it was so great seeing everybody on Easter and getting to meet your families. Hope you all had a wonderful spring break and there was so much excitement. In fact, last week, if you were in second service, we ran out of chairs, not once, but two different times. And so thank you for being patient with us on that. Uh, But man, my excitement's actually rolled right on over into this week because today we are kicking off a series. It's going to take us somewhere between five and eight weeks where we really dive deep into the spiritual practice of prayer. Now, I know for some of you, you might be thinking, golly, it sounds like the most boring sermon series I've ever heard. But the reality is there is so much power when we pray. In fact, we're taking the title for this series from a question the disciples asked Jesus. They said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Which actually, if you think about it, is pretty mind-boggling because the disciples were with Jesus. They had a front row seat while he healed people from sickness. He raised people from the dead. He cast out demons. He confronted religious leaders. He taught with authority. And the question they asked him was not, Jesus, can you help us teach like you? Jesus, could you help us raise people from the dead? No, the question they asked is, would you teach us how to pray? Because the disciples knew that Jesus' power came from the time he spent with his father in prayer. In fact, if you look at Jesus' ministry all throughout, he's just praying over and over and over again. In preparation for the series, I looked at every single prayer that Jesus prayed. He's praying before he goes into a season of ministry. In fact, right off the bat, Jesus spends 40 days and nights fasting and praying. Some of us don't even want to spend 40 minutes fasting. Jesus spent 40 days fasting and praying. In moments of ministry, Jesus was praying. Whether it was, God, would you please call Lazarus out of the grave? Or Father, would you bless this food so it can feed thousands? And even after times of ministry, Jesus was found praying. He would retreat to a quiet place to pray, to rest, and to recharge, which was convicting to me because how often do I come home at the end of the long day and say, man, I just need to veg out and relax. Let me turn on some office or some Netflix and binge. Let me read a book. And listen, not that those things are bad, but I wonder if Jesus were here today, would he find his rest in front of the TV watching Netflix or would he be retreating to his quiet place to pray? See, Jesus' power was a result of the time he spent in prayer. And I think somewhat inherently, we have this desire to pray. In fact, even the most recent studies have shown, even though the number of people praying is declining, over 70% of Americans pray at least once a week, and almost half of them pray on a daily basis. To put this in perspective, more people will pray this week than will drive a car, exercise, have sex, or go to work. I mean, there's just a vast amount of people who are praying. Now, why is that? I think there's a number of reasons, but I think innately there is something within us that when something either good or bad happens, that something life-changing is experienced, we feel the need to direct that somewhere. So, right, we have this like mountaintop, this great promotion, this breakthrough in our family, and we just can't help but say, thank you, God, for doing this in my life. And even when something profoundly heartbreaking happens, we cry out, God, why would you let this happen? God, where were you? How come you didn't interfere and and, and stop this? God, why? There's something innate that causes us to cry out. And yet, if we want to be more like Jesus, we have to continue growing in prayer. 
See, I'm assuming that if you're here today, there's a high likelihood that you want to follow Jesus. Now, maybe somebody dragged you here, and if that's you, we're glad you're here. But a lot of us were trying to become more like Jesus. And I'll never forget, a few years ago, I heard a CEO of a company say, most people want what I have, but they don't want to do what I do. So they want to run a company, but they don't want to wake up at four in the morning to work out. They don't want to have international business calls at all hours of the day. They don't want to have to fire some of their closest friends. They don't want to have to have confrontation and conflict. They want what I have, but they don't want to do what I do. And I wonder how often do we look at Jesus and we say, we want to be like Jesus, but we just don't want to do the things that he did. We want to be like Jesus, but we're looking for the easy button. I don't know what it says about my search history, but on Facebook and Instagram the last couple of weeks, I keep getting these ads for this machine that you hook up to your legs or your abs, and it just like shakes your body and like exercises it, because everybody wants six-pack abs, but we still want to eat Krispy Kreme and watch movies, right? Like we, we want the shortcut. But the reality is I am sure that company made millions of dollars off of that idea, but we all know that that's not how you get a six-pack. You're going to be like eating celery for lunch and exercising like 12 times a week. Like you really got to put in the effort if that's what you want. And the reality is if we want to look like Jesus, we have to do the things that he did. If we want to become more like him, we have to spend invested time in prayer. But why does it seem that even though there's a lot of people who pray, there's still a lot of hesitancy behind prayer? You know, I've been pastoring long enough, and, and I've never heard somebody say, you know what, I've got prayer figured out. I'm an expert in prayer. You know, I've never heard someone say, you know, I'm still working on that anger and that lust and that pride, but prayer, I got that one down. More often than not, I find people, no matter how long they've been following Jesus, still have reservations about prayer. In fact, I think there's a number of reasons why people don't pray. I just want to give you, like, anecdotally, some of the top reasons people give me with why they struggle with prayer. So, so why don't people pray? The first one is that people have a fear of being naive. In other words, we think, this is 2023, I mean, when I'm praying, like there's some invisible God, like do we really think that that God is answering prayer? Like sure, hundreds of years ago, farmers were praying that God would help their crops that were dying and all of a sudden rain popped up and they said he answered our prayers, but was that really just a weather system that comes through on a regular basis? Oh, and we prayed and the cancer was healed, but was that really just the chemo and radiation? Like do people really believe in prayer. We're afraid of looking naive and looking like fools. We want to fit in. We want to look sophisticated. By the way, I think this is why people are full of so much cynicism and skepticism in our world today and why we struggle to trust people because none of us wants to be taken for a fool. And by the way, there's good reasons why. Like we look at political leaders, church leaders. There's a lot of people who've let us down. But as a result, what we've done is just said, you know, I'm never going to be naive again. I'm never going to let somebody uh, pull the wool over my eyes. I'm just not going to do that anymore. And so we just refuse to look like a fool. Then all of a sudden, we end up just kind of trying to blend in with everybody else. In fact, there was a study that was done. There's actually a YouTube video you can see of this. I showed it to our team a few years ago. 
where they uh, took people who were going to see the doctor and they did a social experiment. So they walked into like a fake waiting room, which by the way, I was always like, did these people actually ever see a real doctor? Because they didn't, they had to see it, want to see a doctor and they were part of this experiment. But anyway, they go into this waiting room and the waiting room is full. And so the person comes in, they sit down and they pick up, I don't know, highlights, whatever you read when you're in the doctor's office. And all of a sudden a bell goes off and everyone else who's in on the experiment stands up and then sits down. So you see this person kind of looks around, well that's strange. Well, this goes on a few more times and eventually this person, when the bell goes off, they stand up, look around and then sit back down just like everybody else. Now they extended it out where they started calling all the other people back one by one. So only the person they were doing the experiment on was left and when they're in a room by themselves and the bell goes off, they stand up and then they sit back down. Then they start bringing in other people who don't know they're in on this social experiment and by the end, all of them are standing up and sitting down whenever this bell goes off. And we kind of laugh, but the reality is we all do this. We all do this to the point that we're trying to fit in with everybody else. So we do the things that other people are doing. We don't want to be left out. We don't want to be naive. And so when it comes to prayer, do we really think that it's accomplishing anything? The second reason I think people don't pray is a fear of silence. Which really, I think there's a double meaning here. One of them is just a fear of like sitting in silence, which I will say I'm probably more guilty than anybody else. My wife tells me if I could get my headphones surgically implanted in my ears, I would. I'm actually looking forward to the day where I can get hearing aids. I'm just going to get a Bluetooth one because, man, I'm listening in the shower. I'm listening to podcasts, get in the car. There's music, making phone calls. Whenever I'm doing something, there has to be sound. Even when I fall asleep, we got to have white noise. Like, we always want noise because... If you sit in silence, you might be forced to wrestle with your thoughts. If you ever tried to sit in silence in prayer, all of a sudden these thoughts come to your mind. You're like, where on earth did that come from? It's because it's the only time we're sitting in silence. But I actually think the silence we're really afraid of is not sitting in silence, but it's that God would be silent. That God would not answer our prayers. Because I'm sure in a room this size, there are people that you know what it's like to desperately pray and the cancer still comes back. And you cried out to God, and the business still went under. And in your moment of need, you reached out. The marriage fell apart anyway. See, we know what it's like to pray and to feel like God is silent. And so we have these unmet expectations. By the way, this is really the fear of unmet expectations. We say, well, I've been down that road, so I'm not going down that way ever again. By the way, a lot of our responses to prayer are shaded by our past wounds. And so again, we put up walls to protect ourselves. And then the last fear is the fear of just doing it wrong. Like, what if I don't pray the right way? In fact, I remember reading a study a few years ago, which I thought was funny in light of what I do for a living, but they listed the top 10 fears of Americans. Number one fear was public speaking. Number two was death. In other words, people would rather die than speak in front of people. And if you don't believe this is the case, next time you're a life group, just call on somebody to pray. They will just quit the life group right then and there. They're like, I'm done. Leaving the church. Don't want to do it. Because again, we're afraid, what if I say the wrong thing? And we almost set ourselves up for failure because some, for some of you, the only time you're even hearing prayer is on Sunday morning where it's somebody like me and you think, well, that's just for the professional Christians. And what if I don't sound like them or do like them? So we're afraid we're going to pray wrong. 
Now, I want to work back through this list and just talk about why I think we should pray in light of each of these reasons why sometimes we don't. The first one, we should pray, we should push through the fear of being naive because we're overwhelmed, right? So, so back to that example of just fitting in with the crowd, we become overwhelmed and we start to get imposter syndrome because we're trying to fit in with everybody else. So we're doing all the things everybody else is doing. And we look on Instagram and Facebook or we talk to our friends and it seems like they had the perfect marriage and their kids never do anything wrong and they have their financial situation is solid. And we see the behind the scenes in our life and we know we're going through a tough season in our marriage. And we don't really know if we're even doing this parenting thing right or if we're just screwing them up every single day. And we can't even get our finances together. We're still living from paycheck to paycheck no matter how hard we try, no matter how much money we make. And all of a sudden, we start to feel overwhelmed because we can't do this on our own, right? We've pushed God away. We're trying to do it all on our own, and everything seems so overwhelming, they have done so many studies on the neuroscience behind prayer, and there's a number of different benefits, but they study people who actively pray on a consistent basis, and what they have found is there's actually areas of your brain that actually grow and thicken when you pray on a regular basis. One of those is your prefrontal cortex. This is the part of your brain that controls your willpower and your focus, so it actually, like, your willpower and focus gets greater if you pray on a consistent basis. There's also your anterior singular cortex, which is the seat of like compassion and empathy. And when you pray, that area grows. You actually become more compassionate and empathetic. You're less disposed to depression or anxiety. And as that part of your brain grows, your amygdala, so your fight or flight response to your brain, it actually becomes harder for it to respond to stimuli, which is a very scientific way of saying it's a lot harder for you to be angry or fearful of people who are different than you or disagree with you. So from like a scientific perspective, the more you pray, the more compassion, the more empathy, the more peace, the less given to anger you are, like you become more like Jesus. Not to add in the fact that when you pray regularly, you have lower blood pressure. And people who pray to a God they believe are, is listening actually experience some of the same benefits of going to see a therapist. And then they did this one study I thought was so fascinating. They took a group of atheists, self-described, and they asked them to pray for 20 minutes a day, every day, for six weeks. And at the end of the six weeks, every single participant in the study claimed to have a closer connection with God, although they still all said they were atheists. So I don't know how you put that together. I feel a stronger connection to a God that I still don't believe in, which there's a whole other sermon on how we don't actually like follow reality and rationality thinking, but it's all based on our feelings. But there's this idea that when we pray, we actually become less overwhelmed because we're trusting God and even the biology in our body changes to help us become more like Jesus. Now, the second reason, instead of fear of silence, we know that prayer actually brings intimacy in our lives. That's why I said, really, the fear of silence is fear of unmet expectations. But see, the purpose of prayer was never just to get God to do what you wanted to do. See, the purpose of prayer is actually to become the people God wants us to be. So I want to say that again, because if you don't get anything else from today, know this, prayer is not about getting God to do what we want. It's about becoming the people that he wants. It's about changing 
us. And too often we have this perception of God when we pray, we just say, well, for some of us, the only prayer we know is petition and intercession, right? You grew up evangelical. It's not your fault. It's just the only prayer you know. And so you think prayer is just giving God a list of all the things that you want. But, but imagine this for a second. If you just go and give God a list of all the things you want, and that's all you ever do to talk to him, you would never hang around with somebody like that. That's somebody who's manipulating and who only wants something from you. But see, God is always bringing us into this intimate relationship with him. In fact, when Jesus leaves his disciples, he said, it's better that I leave. Would you really think about that? If Jesus was standing in front of me today and he said, it's better that I leave, I would think, Probably not, Jesus. Probably not better that you leave me. It's better that I leave because now you're going to get the Holy Spirit. And think about the words the Bible uses to describe the Holy Spirit. He's an advocate. He's a, he's a helper. He's a counselor. I mean, these are intimate terms. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not like the force from Star Wars. Right? It's a, it's a person that is with us. And also, when the Holy Spirit shows up, the Holy Spirit shows up in power. Right, Because then the disciples start to go do some of the same miracles that Jesus did. The problem for many of us is we want the power, but we've never tried to approach with intimacy. But listen, if you approach God and your goal is intimacy, then everything else comes with that. The problem is we think that God's this vending machine. We put a prayer in, we get a blessing out. But if your goal is intimacy, then everything else is bonus on top of that. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny. Have you ever seen VeggieTales before? They're getting ready to be thrown into a furnace. And what is their prayer? They say, I know that God's going to save me. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. And I'll never bow down to anybody else. See, that's the purpose of prayer. Like, we have confidence that God will answer. But even if he doesn't, that's not the goal of prayer. Success in prayer is not that God did what I wanted. It's that I became who God wanted. And then the last thing is that we're afraid of doing it wrong when really there's no wrong way to pray. You can't pray wrong. In fact, it was uh, Roberta Bondi's, a theologian, who said, if you're praying, you're doing it right. right. Like we're all beginners when it comes to prayer. And if we're praying, if we're talking, if we're spending time with Jesus, you're doing it the right way. Now, I wanted to kind of flesh these things out and just spend the whole time talking about it, but I wanted to give us some practical things. Okay, if we take away some, a few things we can apply this week, what would that be? And so I want to walk us through what I believe Jesus is going to show us, kind of the, the stages of spiritual growth in the way we approach prayer. And I want to look at this passage. It's probably familiar to you. It's from Luke chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 1. Let's go ahead and dive in this morning. So he, meaning Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. That's where I got the name of the series, by the way, just right here. Just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. I love this. They come to Jesus and they say, would you teach us how to pray? And in that culture, if you asked your rabbi, teach us how to pray, they wouldn't say, here's like seven bullet points for a successful prayer life. Or here's like some guidelines you should follow. Jesus says, when you pray, say these words. Right? Like he's not just saying like, here's some things like actually pray this. 
And he gives them a prayer outline. Now, do I think Jesus is saying, like, you shouldn't ad lib? No, absolutely not. I think Jesus is saying, here is actually how you pray. You ask me how to pray, I'm giving you this prayer. And we could, like, flesh this out, and what does all this mean? And we'll do that later on in the series. But for now, no, Jesus says, here's how you pray. In fact, it's been said before. If the only prayer you ever prayed was the Lord's prayer, that's a pretty good prayer life. Right, like it's okay to pray that prayer. Jesus says, pray this. And then he elaborates by telling a parable in verse five. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from the inside and say, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I have gone to bed and I can't get up to give you anything. And I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, and that could be interpreted as persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So Jesus says, imagine one of you has a friend who shows up in the middle of the night. Now, if it's me, a friend shows up in the middle of the night, I'm not even getting out of bed to answer the door, right? But this guy, like most of you are probably more kind than I am. So a friend shows up in the middle of the night, you welcome him into your home, and all of a sudden you realize, I don't have any food to give him. Now, again, if it's me, you should be lucky that you're in the house at all at midnight. But in that culture, remember, honor, shame, culture. So if somebody shows up at your house, you don't have anything to give them. That brings shame on you. It shows you were unprepared, that you didn't care about your friend. That hurts your social standing in a big way. That's even worse than liking your own Facebook post, okay? I mean, we're just talking big faux pas. You don't do that. And so you're in a desperate situation, you need help. So you go to your other friend and you bang on the door and say, can you give me some bread? And your friend says, I'm not getting out of bed. The kids are in bed. I'm in bed. Which I always wondered, like, did they have an intercom system? Like, how is this conversation even happening? So I can't get up and get out of bed. I'm not going to help you. And it says, but because of your boldness and persistence that you just kept at it, not because he's your friend, but because you're persistent, this guy will get out of bed and give you what you need. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not saying God's in his house and is tired of you bothering him. That's not at all the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, even if this guy, just because you're bold and persistent, eventually gets out of bed, how much more would God who loves you, who has everything you need, how much more would he answer your prayers when you pray with boldness and persistence? So, so they say, teach us how to pray. He says, here's how to pray. Like, here's the words to say. Here's the heart behind it. Pray with boldness and persistence. And then he gets to these verses that I really want to spend the rest of our time unpacking. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And so Jesus continues this teaching of prayer by saying, listen, ask, seek, and knock. And he's these three different verbs. And listen, I'm not giving you the definitive take on these verses. But there's one approach to these verses that says, really, Jesus is just saying the same thing three different ways. Just ask, seek, knock. And by the way, that is a technique that the Bible authors use on a regular basis because they didn't have like italics or bold or underlining when they were writing. So they wouldn't just say God is holy. They would say he's holy, holy, holy. Or these six things I hate, but there's seven I detest, says God, right? It's not like God forgot one and threw an extra one at the last minute. He's like, let me underscore. These are things that you should not aspire to in your life. So it could be they saying, ask, seek, and knock. Like, hey, just underscoring the point. 
But the fact that Jesus uses these three specific verbs that are used elsewhere in Scripture to talk about very specific things tells me there might be something behind this. And so I want to approach this this morning from the perspective of three different levels of, of prayer that we can aspire to. And the first one is simple. The first one is just ask. Like, ask and it will be given to you. Ask God for things. And this would be, I think, the first like kind of base level prayer. And I'm not moralizing this saying like, if all you do is ask, you're a horrible person. This is the entry point to prayer. Like just ask God, like come to him with your request. That's okay. And, and when you first start praying, it's almost like God just it seems to answer left and right. I don't know if that's been your experience. When you first start praying, all of a sudden he's answering. You're like, oh, God does answer my prayer requests. And I think that's because early on, God wants to build in our hearts an understanding of his character, that he does what is good and, and, and what is best for us. And he wants our best interests. So I even think about like in our family with my kids. See, every Saturday we have our Sabbath day and so we do a big breakfast and then we always have dessert on the Sabbath. Like we always do, no other night of the week, but we are going to on Sabbath. And so last night we had Ghirardelli brownies fresh out of the oven with a big scoop of ice cream. We drew, drizzled chocolates. My mouth's watering. I like tripping over my words now. Like I, that's a little bit of heaven on earth right there. A warm brownie, ice cream. It was great. So the whole family eats it. And then 10 minutes later, my nine-year-old comes back in the room, which by the way, do not, if you see my kids in the lobby, don't be like, your dad talked about you on stage today. Cause just imagine if I talked about you on stage today, you probably wouldn't appreciate that. So like, let's see, you know, we'll keep this between us here. But my nine-year-old comes in 10 minutes later and he's like, dad, can I have a snack? I'm like, well, what do you want? I love a brownie and ice cream. I was like, you just had brownie and ice cream. He's like, all right, well, I'll just settle for ice cream. I'm like, what, what do you think? You think I'm going to give you more ice cream right now? And at first I'm like, who does this kid think he is? He can just come in here and ask me for ice cream after you just have brownie and ice cream. But the more I thought about it, I was like, that is what I want my kids to do. I don't want my kids to be afraid to come to me with their requests. I want them to know like, dad loves me. Dad wants what's good for me. Dad likes ice cream. Let's all have more ice cream. And in the same way, I think sometimes when we pray and we're first beginning that journey, God wants to answer those requests because he wants you to know, I love you and I want what's best for you. I mean, there are even times, like I think, you know, trivial things that we, we say, I, I'm not even going to pray about this. I don't even this week, um, uh, one of our elders, Jay, wanted to uh, go to lunch. And so I was heading over to lunch and he texted me and said, don't forget to bring your umbrella. It's supposed to rain. I'm like, well, it's a little late for that. I'm already in the car. And so I'm like, God, you just, you know, hold off the rain just for five minutes while I go in, five minutes while I come out. And um, sure enough, there was no rain when I got there and it was finished raining by the time I left. Now we were there for two and a half hours. So there's plenty of time for that cloud to move over. But just even like, I think that God cares even about little things in our life. And sometimes he'll answer them just so we know, hey, his heart is for our good and he will answer those things. But that's not where he wants us to stop. Because he doesn't just say ask. He says, I also want you to seek. Seek and you will find. And by the way, this verb for seek throughout scripture is used for seeking God. Seek him. See, we might start at the level of request, but God wants us to grow into the level of relationship with him. He wants us not to just ask for things, but to like actually trust in the relationship with him. Because again, if my kids are always just asking me stuff, but they never want to spend time with me, like I realize they're just in it for what I can do for them, not actually for what, who I am. And in the same way, when we come to God, is it just this laundry list of stuff? Are we just manipulating him? Are we just asking him to do stuff for us? Or are we invested in an actual relationship with him? 
And so often we want stuff from God, but do we want to spend time with him? I find this fascinating. Right before this whole teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11, the last few verses in Luke chapter 10, it's a story, if you've grown up in church, I'm sure you've heard it before. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, it says, while they were traveling, he, meaning Jesus, entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. So this story is always fascinating. You have Martha. Martha invites Jesus to her house, right? So Martha's the one who initiates this whole thing. And she invites Jesus to her house. And when Jesus shows up, she's like, okay, I got him here. I'm a little unprepared. So maybe she's cleaning up. Just as she's getting to work doing stuff. Maybe she's cooking dinner. I don't know. And I kind of imagine like this, like, uh, open concept kind of house. So she's over in the kitchen and she's kind of getting stuff done. She looks over in the living room and Jesus is there and Mary, her sister, is just sitting at Jesus' feet. And maybe at first it doesn't bother her too much, but then she's just thinking, I am doing all the work here and I can't believe Jesus is here and I just have to do everything. She's just sitting over there. And I can imagine she's starting to get pretty upset. And I can imagine this because this happens like in every marriage. Because in every marriage, there is one person who will be cleaning and there's one person who will be watching TV. And if you don't know which one you are, then you're probably the one watching TV. And I'm, of course, not speaking from experience, but let's say one spouse is cleaning, and all of a sudden, um, maybe the person watching TV notices and said, oh, can, can I help you with anything? No, no, that's fine. Just go right ahead. You know, just do, do, do you, do you. Just relax. I know it's been a long, I'll just clean here. And he's like, all right, I'll go back to watching TV. And that just bitterness starts to build up. Some of you are looking at your spouse right now. I see, you know who you are. And so, I mean, Martha's just so mad. Martha never actually confronts Mary, which by the way, very common in marriages too. He's just like, I'm not gonna confront. I'm just gonna like push it down. It'll come up in therapy in a few years, right? She doesn't go to Mary. She goes to Jesus. Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to come in here? I'm doing all this stuff for you, Jesus. I'm getting ready for you. Why don't you tell Mary to come help me? And how often is our prayer life, God, will you fix my spouse? Fix them because they're not doing the things they're supposed to do. God, my job is is awful. Would you change my boss, change their heart? They're always coming down on me. God, you don't understand the situation I'm walking through. Oftentimes, we are asking God to change our circumstances and thinking that that's what's going to lead to a heart change. No, God's after your heart, and then maybe the circumstances will change. Jesus looks at Martha and said, you're distracted by so many different things, and you think they're all good things. Some of you are here today, you're distracted by doing so many different things. But really, the thing that God wants you to do is to sit at his feet. And how often is our prayer life, God, would you fix them? Would you fix that? Would you fix this? And then I'll give you my heart. And I wonder if God is saying today, sit at my feet and we can talk about the circumstances later. Because God is more concerned with the person you are becoming than the circumstances around you. By the way, I think this is why God doesn't answer prayer sometimes. It's the same reason I didn't answer my son's request for more ice cream. Because I actually love him so much that I'm not going to give him everything that he wants. Because I know he was going to have a stomach ache and my wife was going to have a hard time getting him out of bed this morning. Like That's actually not what's best for him. 
And sometimes the reason God doesn't answer our prayer, it goes back to that unmet expectations. It's because God's calling us to his feet. And when he's calling us to his feet, sometimes it means we have to be willing to let go of all of our concerns and distractions with external circumstances. I want to go ahead and throw it open to Q&A. We got a question in, which I'm so proud of you guys. Didn't even have to announce it today. We got a question. We got a question at first service, second service. I like it. When you say pray regularly, what does that mean? Um, Good question. I'm going to try to answer this two different ways. Uh, If you are talking about in the scientific studies, they have a method for praying regularly. It was like an everyday kind of prayer, um, and they put parameters. I think it's like 15 minutes a day. I can try to find that and bring it up next week. Um, But when we talk about praying regularly in terms of like frequency of our prayer, um, actually scripture says we should pray without ceasing. Like every moment is an opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus. I've told you one of the challenges I have set for myself, um, there's a book called Practicing His Presence. I would encourage you to get it. Um, It's about Brother Lawrence. He's a guy, lived a long time ago. He wanted to think about God every moment of the day. And it's just his journal entries of how he did that. And so I was like thinking, I was like, wow, every day, every moment, that's kind of a lot. You know, twice an hour. That seems like, like a good starting point, right? Every 30 minutes, I could think about God every 30 minutes. So every 30 minutes, I just want to be like, Jesus, what do you want me to say in this moment? If I'm in a meeting, what do you want me to say? Is there anything you want me to do? Jesus, would you make me aware? And the more that I started doing that, the more I realized I live a large majority of my life without asking Jesus what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that there's a tendency for all of us, we just kind of go throughout life doing our thing. But if prayer really is like sitting at the feet of Jesus, yes, we're going to talk about all different types of prayer. The last type of prayer we're going to talk about is intercession because that's the one we're all familiar with. And we'll talk about that last because I think there's some other ways to pray. We're sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think having a set time every day just to say, I'm going to cut out distraction and sit with Jesus is good. But I know where I want to grow is to, to the, the point, point where, where even in conversation, conversation with, with other people, people I'm, I'm able to, my spirit's able to speak to Jesus and just be in his presence, sit at his feet. It's not a place we have to leave. And I think if that's our attitude and our mindset, we'll find that we actually start to become more like Jesus, which is a great segue into the last kind of thing. When we talk about, he said, ask, seek, and the last one was knock. He says, knock and it will be open to you. So again, it's almost this picture. When you knock, they're going to open the door and you'll be welcomed into the house. It's almost like God's going to welcome you into his house. He's going to have a, a seat prepared at the table for you. And in that culture, when you walked in as a guest to sit down at the table, it was not Burger King, okay? You weren't going to have it your way. It was whatever the host was serving, that's what you were going to have. And so Jesus will welcome you in. He will sit you down at the table and he's going to serve you, and you're just going to trust that whatever he has for you is what's best. And this is the, the third level, I think the hardest level for us to get to, because the first level is asking and seeking. This is something we can take the initiative in, but knocking, that's where we have to be invited to take that next step. And I wonder if God's asking us to come in and to sit down at the table. Maybe there's some things we have to surrender today. There's some things we have to let go of. I could be wrong, but in my studying of all the prayers of Jesus, there's only two times that I found Jesus prayed anything for himself. And one of those, he said, "Uh, God, would you glorify me so I could glorify you? So I'm like, that's kind of like half and half, not really like a prayer request just for him. And so there's one time where Jesus is going through one situation where he asked for God to show up and do something for him. 
And it was after he shared his last meal with his disciples and Judas had left to betray him. And Jesus goes out and he goes into a garden and he goes to spend time alone with God because he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's headed towards the cross. He knows there's pain, there's agony. And I kind of wonder if most people aren't really afraid of death, but we're afraid of the journey there. And I wonder if Jesus was sitting there that day and he knew the journey wasn't gonna be easy. And he begins to cry out and pray like, God, please let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, please, anything else, could we go another way? And then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. The one time Jesus asked for God to intervene for him, God didn't. Jesus knows what it's like to pray unanswered prayers. And yet in that moment, he said, God, but not my will, but yours. Whatever you have for me, the table you have set before me, that's what I'll have. And I wonder if some of us are here today and God's inviting you to surrender some things in your life. Maybe you've been asking, you've been seeking, but maybe today is the day he's inviting you in. Maybe there's a relationship that you need to surrender. Maybe it's career goals and ambitions that you need to lay down. I find it interesting. World hunger and poverty could be solved tomorrow if the church would just become a place where we're just asking and not seeking and knocking and saying, God, whatever, whatever I have, it's yours. Like we could solve global poverty tomorrow. Like racial injustice would be solved tomorrow. The foster care system would be empty tomorrow. All those things could happen in just a moment if as followers of Jesus, we would just say, Jesus, whatever you have for me, I'll lay it all down. I'll even lay down my life if that's what you have for me. Which is, if we're being honest, it's kind of infuriating that God picks like the least effective way possible to accomplish his mission of bringing heaven to earth. He chooses people, right? He chose Adam and Eve. He chose Abraham. He chose Moses. He chose Israel. He sent Jesus. He used Peter. He used Paul. He's using his church today. And listen, I believe if our church family would become a family committed, not just to asking and seeking, but to actually knocking, I think that our community would forever be changed, that heaven would come to earth. See, that's the goal of prayer, being transformed into a people who lay everything before Jesus. And yes, sometimes he may not answer our prayers in the way we expect, but in those moments, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like Jesus, we can say, but God, I am trusting you regardless of the outcome, Jesus. You are my goal. And so I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment and we're gonna continue worship like we do every week. There's four communion stations, two at the back, two on the sides. And as you're sitting there with Jesus, I wanna invite you to take one next step. Listen, for some of you, you're in this room, you haven't prayed in years because of wounds, hurt, history, maybe even wondering, does any of this even make a difference? Listen, if that's you, the invitation today is just to ask. Ask God something. Maybe for you, you've asked a lot, but maybe today it's the invitation just to seek and to sit there with Jesus in his presence, just to sit at his feet, just to let his love flow over you. Or maybe for you, it is to knock and you know he's calling you to surrender some things and it's difficult and it's painful and it's gonna require walking through a road that you couldn't have imagined. But to say, Jesus, I'm gonna trust you 
through it all. And so you'll notice we also have two stations at the front. These are prayer stations. And on the prayer stations, on one half, there's just pieces of paper and a jar. We're calling it the prayer jar. It's been a long time coming up with that name. And listen, uh, you don't write your name on that or anything. If there, maybe today you're just asking. Maybe you're seeking. Whatever it is, you, you're invited. You don't have to, but you're invited to write something on. Just put it in the prayer jar. Next to that, you'll see there's candles. Throughout church history, candles have represented prayers we raise up to God. Maybe for you, you just want to light a candle, whatever that looks like. But I'm reminded the words of Pastor Pete Gregg. He said, when you don't know what to pray, pray what you've got. If you walked in here today and you're full of gratitude, pray gratitude. If you're full of heartache and lament, pray heartache and lament. If you're asking, ask. If you're seeking, sit at his feet. And if you're knocking, you're invited today to surrender. But wherever we're at, this is a moment for us to lean in and become more like Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we're thankful for this moment. I don't know what's going on in anybody else's life, but I need this moment, Jesus. Just to sit at your feet to let your love wash over me. I pray you be with those who are still working through those reasons not to pray. And maybe today they would take that bold step just to ask. I pray for some of us, we would just sit in the stillness and the silence and just seek you. And I pray for those of us who have something we need to surrender that today we would lay it down at your feet and we would not pick it up as we walk out these doors. Jesus, you would change our heart, you would change our mind, that we wouldn't view prayer as just getting things from you, but becoming the people you want us to be. Because Jesus, we just want to be more like you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. As you feel led, you can take communion or visit the prayer station. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.